Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort or 1,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. What a goal! Sensational! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. The world is left to wonder. Wide-eyed, thrilled, bemused. How on earth did that happen? Hello and welcome to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Eboff, and joining me, as always, are my friends and action colleagues, Anthony DeBundo and BJ Cunningham. And gentlemen, this is a scary week, scary weekend for me, because there are 10 Premier League matches coming, and I would say I like probably eight of them from a betting perspective. And uh, as I want to do, most of those bets will be underdogs. I think this is a, such a bettable board. I am so excited to get into it. And you know what that means? Uh, on Monday, we will be looking our wounds, uh, maybe a 1-7, and 0-8 oh weekend, something, something special like that. But there is only one place to start, Stamford Bridge, where Chelsea are minus 150 against Tottenham Hotspur, who are plus 450. The draw is plus 295. Spurs, six, six wins, three draws, no losses, 17 goals for, six goals against, 22 uh, expected goals for, 7.7 expected goals against in Antonio Conte's nine games in charge in the Premier League, coming off a highly emotional, crazy comeback win against Leicester City. They were down 2-1, going to stoppage time, end up scoring two goals in the 94th and 97th minute, I believe, to really solidify their place in the top four hunt. And now they're going to take on a Chelsea team, four wins, seven draws, two losses in that that same span since Conte came to uh, Tottenham. 20 goals for 15 goals against we were clamoring for the regression to come for this team. It's come, it's come in a pretty big way. And now they're taking on a team that is truly on the ascendancy. So the question is, Anthony, how much do you think actually separates these two squads in current form? And is it reflected in the market? You know, we had this conversation a few weeks ago, right before they played in the Carabao cup. And I actually thought Spurs were a bit undervalued in that because I, I felt as though Chelsea weren't going to play uh, their entire best 11, given the circumstances surrounding their title race chase. Uh, and they played a pretty strong team. Spurs played close to their best team, uh, and it was not close over two legs. Chelsea completely dominated that, and I think that has to be taken into consideration here, but it clearly is being taken into consideration with the number. Chelsea were minus 120 two weeks ago. Now they're minus 155. My full-strength number is actually pretty close. I make Chelsea minus 145 at home, so I don't really have a ton on the – uh, spread or the money lines in this game. But what I think is interesting is that both teams to score is lined just minus 110, despite Tottenham being, you know, not only posting four and a half expected goals today against Leicester and, and, and winning that game in very dramatic fashion, 
but their attack has been absolutely humming since Conte took over. And I don't think that's quite being priced in here, especially when we consider the Chelsea defense continues to leak goals. They now only kept one clean sheet in their last 11 games. And the XG numbers against suggest that they probably deserve to only about one clean sheet in the last 11. So they've been struggling defensively. Spurs should be able to get on the board here, but we've also seen how vulnerable this, this Tottenham makeshift back line that's included Tanganga, Sanchez, and Davies today. Uh, it's really not a top four or five quality back line. So I do think this game will be more open. Uh, when these two teams played two weeks ago, again, the second leg, Spurs had three goals, Vard off, and the, the goal decisions were all correct. But it kind of shows you that Chelsea were riding their luck a little bit, getting a bit fortunate that these guys were just offside. Uh, and so Spurs were close to breaking through, and I do think they will break through here. So I like both teams to score. I, I just think there there are certain situations in a season where you get uh, a great number on a great team, and this is one of them, plus 450. Tottenham is a really good team, and they're getting better, and I don't think that they're going to stop getting better under Conte, right? This is not just going to halt. They're not. I don't think they're just going to plateau. Uh, whereas Chelsea, like, what what are they playing for at this point, too? I, I understand it's a rivalry match. They want to stop the rot. They want to turn their season around. But you're getting four and a half to one on a really, really good team against a team that's not Manchester City uh, in the Premier League. So Tottenham for me, man, 21 out of 27 points with Conte. That's the second best mark in the Premier League in that span. The only team that's better, Man City, who are 12 and up uh, since Conte came. BJ, um, well, the rest of the uh, soccer world was picking their jaw off the floor uh, after the Tottenham comeback today. You were uh, not thrilled as an Arsenal fan and someone who wants to see Arsenal crash into the top four. Do you think there's any value in this one, even as a Spurs hater? No, I don't really think so. I agree with Anthony. I have minus 143, so we're pr- both pretty much dead on on this match. It's it's really hard to look away from Tottenham. I totally agree. You know, they've obviously been in, in fantastic form since Conte took over. The two matches in the Carabao Cup do concern me with, you know, Chelsea, that first leg, they completely dominated Tottenham. Tottenham didn't have a shot in the first half of the first leg. So that's concerning. And we talk a lot about the Chelsea regression. Obviously, it's come. But if we look at expected goal differential, since Conte took over, Tottenham's at plus 11.5 and Chelsea's at plus 11. So even though they're not, you know, the 30 goals for four goals against at the beginning of the season, like we saw, this is still a really, really good Chelsea team. And they've been really good at Stanford Bridge, plus 11.4 expected goal differential, which is third best in the Premier League. Given their couple recent dominant performances against Tottenham, that's kind of keeping me away from Spurs in this one. So this is a complete pass for me. I don't hate both teams to score yes at minus 110. But uh, other than that, I think this is just a pass and see how Tottenham handles playing a really, really good side. Because we've seen... They've been able to dominate some of these smaller sides, but you know they had one match against Liverpool when all of their defenders were out due to COVID and injuries, and then finally a big match against two matches against Chelsea, and they falter. So we'll see what happens. It could be another situation where we come out and say, oh, yeah, okay, Chelsea just dominated twice, and then they do it a third time. So and we'll be like, oh, can't believe we didn't see that coming. So it's a pass for me. Ten shots for Harry Kane today. That is uh, very encouraging. Against the worst defense in the Premier League. Doesn't right matter. Now. Ten shots and about a 1.6 stat, expected goal. The, the, the stat pattern against bad defenses comes back again. Man. All right. From the top of the table to the fraud. sounds like some fraud. What from an top, absolute fraud. From the top of the table to the bottom. Watford plus 105. Hosting Norwich City plus 265. The draw is plus 260. A relegation six-pointer on Friday night lights. Friday, 3 p.m. kickoff here for, for the Hornets at Vicarage Road. 
once again, I don't know how you can look away from plus 265. In the Tottenham match, I'm betting on Tottenham, of course, plus 450. I'm thinking you're getting a great number to bet on a team in this in this matchup. I'm looking at plus 265 and saying, wow, you're getting a good number, a plus 265 to bet against a terrible team, Watford. And the question, like, and I know Norwich is bad too, perhaps the worst team in the league, but there's not that much between them I don't think right like this is a Watford team that ships goals for fun they can score for sure but they can't stop people and when you're taking on a Norwich team that can't score that could end up being the difference right like can Norwich break down um, West Ham probably not but can they break down Watford I think so I mean they just broke down Everton for two goals uh, so I think Norwich you're getting a good number they're uh, two two and six win draw loss under Dean Smith in that same uh, span at Watford's got one win Still no clean sheets on the season. No clean sheets. Um, they are coming off a, a, an impressive, like, you know, show some moxie draw against Newcastle on the road in another relegation six-pointer. So there should, like, there should be some momentum coming into this game for the Hornets. However, I just don't think you can look away from a plus 265 to take them on. It's just, this is a really bad team. And if you're going to give me that number on another Premier League team, I'm going to take it. BJ, anything for you, Canaries and Hornets? No, I'm going to pass. It's really, yeah, I agree with you. It's really hard to lay plus 105 with Watford with how bad their defense is. Like you mentioned, they haven't held, uh, kept a clean sheet yet this season. They might for the first time against, you know, Norwich who has been one of the worst offenses in the Premier League and their match against Everton. I mean, yes, Norwich, you know, they got the back-to-back goals. One was on a, a very, very, sorry, Michael, hilarious own goal from Michael Keane. And then, you know, a shot from outside the box. But other than that, you know, Everton pretty much dominated the whole second half of that match. It's... Watford, their offense continues to perform well, you know, especially against bad defenses. They put up, you know, 1.7 expected goals against Newcastle last Saturday, probably got a deserved 1-1 draw, but, you know, the projection is Watford plus 104 and over-under of uh, 2.33. So if uh, over two and a half goals gets steamed pretty hard, I might end up having to play an under because again, these are still two bottom seven offenses in the Premier League. So that's where I would be kind of leaning towards kind of watching the market, see how it goes. Maybe if Watford gets steamed, maybe play Norwich, although I don't see how that's going to happen, but you know, no Billy Gilmore for, for Norwich that obviously hurts them, but they have been getting healthier. They've been getting some of their better players back. Todd Cantwell back in the lineup obviously helps a lot. So it's a pass for me, but I will be watching the market, especially the total and potentially maybe playing under two and a half goals. Another team in the relegation scrap coming up next. That's Everton. Quick look at the table. Everton sitting at 19 points in 19 games. Watford 14 and 19. Norwich City 13 and 21. Newcastle 12 and 20. And Burnley 11 and 17 games. All right, let's talk about those toffees, baby. 7.30 a.m. kickoff on Saturday morning. I haven't been this excited for an Everton match in probably since Carlo Ancelotti's first match, honestly. And then because obviously COVID then and then kind of put a damper on everything. Uh, Goodison Park will be absolutely rocking, I think, uh, for Duncan Ferguson. He's taking over as the, the caretaker, the big Scott, who, great story about him. Two decades ago, somebody broke into his house. He beat the bag out of them and just held them there before the cops came and arrested him. And the cops wanted to arrest Big Dunk. And he had to prove his case that this guy tried to steal stuff from me. And, and he was protecting his wife and daughter in the house. And was cleared of all charges. And he will oversee Everton, plus 165, hosting Steven Gerrard, Liverpool legend, coming to Goodison Park, along with Luca Dean, former Everton player. Aston Villa's plus 170. The draw is plus 240. Luca Dean, 35-1 to 1 for first goal score, 12-1 to 1 to score at any time. This is how much of a mess Everton's been this season. Luca Dean, one of their best players, falls out with Rafa Benitez. 
he sells them to Aston Villa, who you can call a rival for Everton in terms of where they should be finishing uh, in terms of the, the table at the end of the season. Uh, three days later, they they fire Rafa Benitez after he had basically forced their hand to, to fire the director of football, their sports medicine director, uh, the head of fitness, the head of recruitment. It was just a mess. They uh, built a club in Rafa's image. Now Rafa's gone. Thank God. And Everton, this is hard to bake into a number. We all hear like talk about how we bet numbers, not teams. The effort's going to be there for maybe the first time since October. This team should be on the same page. They should be playing a pretty coherent style of football. Will it be free-flowing, possession-based Pep Guardiola football? No, it's going to be in-your-face Duncan Ferguson-style football. And I think that new manager bounce, as we've talked about, is a real thing. And with Duncan Ferguson, it's pretty hard not to get excited about it. Everton, plus 165. Love it, the number against uh, Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa, who 4-1-4 and four under uh, Windraw loss under Gerrard defensively been all right, but they don't generate that much. So I think this Everton defense, as bad as it's been, should be able to withstand uh, Aston Villa's attack, even with Philippe Coutinho uh, back in the fold or in the fold. Anthony, anything for you at Goodison Park? Yeah, I like the under two and a half goals, minus 115 up to minus 120. Uh, the, the one thing here, I'm a little bit, more lukewarm on the, on the Ferguson era, Fergie time uh, at Everton. He, he had four matches in charge uh, in 2019 as a caretaker. They actually won one and drew three, but the performances were poor. Uh, they really struggled. They had no real semblance of tactics. It was kind of just like classic four, four, two. We're going to just kind of defend and not really have any plan to attack and, you know, lump the ball forward, you know? And so that I don't love, uh, trying to break down what I think is a pretty sturdy Villa defense. Uh, I agree with with Michael that you're going to get a lot of energy. You're going to get a lot of effort. I think that helps the defense more, whereas the, the attack, you, you kind of need a plan to go after a team that's been as defensively sound as Villa has been under Gerrard. Both defenses have also been running really cold. Um, four goals allowed to Liverpool from 2.1 expected goals for Everton, then three to Palace on like one and a half expected goals, three to Brighton on about one and a half again. Uh, and two to Norwich on, like BJ said earlier, uh, an own goal and then one chance where they got in on goal from a counterattack. So I'm not totally down on this Everton defense quite as much, uh, especially in this spot. Uh, the one issue for Villa defensively and for Everton is that both goalkeepers are in the bottom five in shot stopping. Emmy Martinez is actually in 20th this year after he was one of the best in the league last year. Jordan Pickford's in 16th. I think they're both around league average keepers, and I think you'd, you'd expect some positive regression there as well. So if the shot stopping gets better, these teams won't underperform as much. There'll be fewer goals in their games. And Villa really struggled with United's press in the first hour of the match. That's how the second goal came for Man United in the last match. But like I said, I'm not sure Everton's going to be the team to really expose that. So I think this is going to be two four four twos, a lot of stale possession, not a lot of attacking chances. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to back the under. Yeah, the tackles, I think, are going to be flying in. And you said it, like, this is going to be a – Ferguson's going to set this team up to play a simple four four two, you know, Tony Poulos, Sam Allardyce style soccer. But that's what this team is basically crying out for at the moment. They just need to simplify everything because uh, th- they've been told to do – they've had six managers over the past five years who think about all these players. Their heads are probably mush from trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there. I also like, you know, it's, it's a little dubious now because of what happened with the Arsenal thing with uh, that we talked about on, on ActionNetwork.com about the uh, potential match match fixing with the, the yellow card prop. But I, if you can find yellow card props at your, your sports book, the Everton ones, uh, just hammer away because 
Uh, Duncan Ferguson is going to have these guys lashing into tackles. Uh, BJ, Duncan time. Come on. Yeah, I love I love the Toffees here, Michael. This is a great – this is probably – honestly, this is probably the best spot Everton's had this season so far. So, at, to quote Michael Leboff, the monster is gone. And now, <laughs> the, and now the Toffees get a new manager bounce, and they're finally pretty much fully healthy for, like, the first time since the second match of the season. Dominique Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, and Yuri Mina are all going to be back in the lineup on Saturday. I think we – forgot how capable and actually pretty good this Everton team is when all those guys are healthy, especially in attack dating back to last season, when Dominique Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison are in the lineup together, Everton averages 1.43 expected goals per match. When the two don't play together or just one of them is playing, they only average 0.98 expected goals per match. So it's a very, very big boost and a very big difference with both of them in the lineup. Aston Villa, they have been improving, and they did improve their squad in the transfer market, but this is still a team with some flaws. First off, the one way to beat Everton is to press them relentlessly. Aston Villa is not really that team. They're 15th in passes per defensive action and 14th in pressures per 90. Aston Villa offensively hasn't really been that effective since Steven Gerrard took over, considering they're only averaging 1.08 expected goals per match in his nine matches in charge. Plus, Everton getting Yuri Mina back is massive for them with him. In the lineup, Everton only allows 1.12 expected goals per match. With them out of the lineup, they'll they allow around 1.9 expected goals per match. So I love Everton in this spot. I have them projected at plus 121. So give me draw no bet at home at minus 110. And let's go, Ferguson, bring home those three points. Okay, let me take a deep breath. <laughs> and then we'll move on to Manchester United. 10 a.m. kickoff. Uh, they're minus 110, hosting West Ham plus 290. The draw is plus 280. <laughs> I think Thomas Frank uh, summed it up pretty well after Brentford and Manchester United today, where he said that they absolutely smashed United Brentford. That is smashed United in the first half. And they were unlucky not to score three goals. He was, he was rattling off how many big chances they created, et cetera. Uh, and I tend to agree with him, but then United just kind of found their, their form in a little bit there. It was um, I guess you could say United was, was really good in the moments that they needed to be good. And Marcus Rashford, especially, and that's how they were getting results early in the season. You know, they play to like these kind of messy games. And then when they needed a moment of magic, Bruno Fernandes or Cristiano Ronaldo, whoever would provide it. Rashford was the one today. That doesn't really inspire much confidence to lay a minus 110 against a West Ham team that, yes, trending down, but pretty good by low spot, I would say, in at Old Trafford. West Ham's 3-0-3 win draw loss over their last six, 13 goals for, 11 goals against. So it's four total goals per game with United's defensive troubles. You could see uh, some reasoning for an over, but I think this game has chaos written all over it. Uh, and I think that will lend itself to some value on the dog West Ham near three to one, maybe ticks up a little bit with coming off that Manchester United performance. Uh, so I'm going to be on the hammers. Another underdog for me this weekend is going to be pain train, man. Give me the hammers, Anthony. You've been uh, down sour on this West Ham team. Even when they were good, even when they were good, you were down on them. Are you kind of changing your tune for this one? I don't remember being down on them. When oh, they stop. Were, I, I, I joined you guys on, on those underdogs uh, when they beat Chelsea and uh, Liverpool. That was like uh, but, Well, yeah, that, I was up on them then, and then I, I cooled on them. Uh, and now I'm, I'm back, baby. You mean the hammers on the road? Look, you, what you mentioned about Man United not really playing well for an hour and then like finding the moment of magic, that, that's the definition of luck box. And Thomas Frank, every word he said today was 100% right. If you haven't seen his comments, go back and, and watch them. They dominated the first hour of the match. They didn't take their chances. And even the, the commentator, the announcer, 
tried to push him a little bit and say, oh, it was De Gea making the saves and don't you have to take your chances? And he even said, you know, you can talk about taking your chances or that shit, but it's football, paraphrasing, sort of. Uh, Frank's right, and and we'll get to Brentford in a minute, but as far as this match goes, Manchester United looked extremely vulnerable against teams who are willing to press them, get physical with them, make them run. Uh, West Ham has struggled as a favorite of late because their defense has been struggling. Uh, they've been more vulnerable in transition, but I think they're very well suited to match up with Manchester United. They caused United a lot of problems earlier in the season when these two sides met at the London Stadium. It was famously a late goal by Jesse Lingard, and then a Mark Noble got subbed on to take a penalty in stoppage time and missed the penalty. Uh, but the game was very even otherwise, and I think United will be vulnerable yet again in transition. And I think we're setting up for United to have probably 55, 60% of the ball and then do very little with it. And that's the kind of style of play that West Ham is very comfortable playing. They've been very comfortable beating these teams like Liverpool and Chelsea. They beat Spurs in the first meeting doing the same thing. Uh, I think it's a really good spot to back West Ham plus a half goal, minus 110, and I'll be taking them in my underdogs later. BJ, uh, Anthony and I were alluding to being on West Ham. I also think that the over is a sensible play here. Uh, you're one-upping us by putting both in your cart. Yeah, I'm both over three goals at plus 120 and West Ham plus half a goal at minus 110. So let's start with the over. So West Ham, they're going to continually probably have to play these type, these uh, high-scoring type matches without Kurt Zuma and Angelo Ogbonna in the lineup. They have now been without them for 11 matches, and in seven of those matches, they've allowed 1.53 expected goals per match when either one of them or both are in the lineup. They only allow 1.15 expected goals per match. So it's a big difference. And with those, with having basically Craig Dawson and Diop back there, it's just really not working for West Ham right now. But Manchester United's offense, they didn't really do much against Brentford in the first half. And like you said, a couple of moments of magic, they put away their two big scoring chances. They have put up 8.5 expected goals in Ralph Ragnick's six matches in charge. And they have beat up on a lot of these inferior defenses. And this is probably going to turn into a pretty open game. You know, Ronaldo made a return to the lineup this week, this week or on uh, Wednesday. So United's offense is still pretty good under Ragnick. Obviously the problems lie in defense and defensive transition and West Ham offensively is flying so high right now. 10.7 expected goals created in their last five matches. Jared Bowen is maybe the most informed attacker in the Premier League right now. He's got three goals and three assists in his last five matches. West Ham for the season is averaging 1.5 expected goals per match. That's fourth best in the Premier League. Now they get to face a Manchester United defense that just allowed 2.7 expected goals to Brentford. And in Ragnick's six matches in charge, they've allowed a total of 8.2 expected goals. But the teams they've faced are Norwich, Newcastle, Burnley, Wolves, Aston Villa and Brentford. All of those are in the bottom 12 of the Premier League and expected goals for. So facing West Ham, a top five offense is a massive, massive step up in competition. So I, I have 3.24 goals projected for this one. So I do really like the value on over three goals at plus 120. And I believe I only have Manchester United projected at around plus 130. So I love the Hammers plus half a goal at minus 110 and over three goals at plus 120. And I might even be looking to do some type of same game parlay if I can taking West Ham team total over one and a half West Ham money line and over three goals. Cause I think this has the potential to be a West Ham three, two win, or maybe even more because United has looked so lost in defensive transition and they haven't faced even a decent offense under Ragnick's. I I'm with you guys. I love, love the hammers here in this spot. 
Yeah, I think the way the fixture list set up for the United at the beginning of the season uh, was that they got to play a ton of really mediocre to bad teams early on, first 10, 12 matches. Uh, and there were cracks, but they were getting by. And we all said, hey, look, like there's concerns here. They're going to have issues. Then they ran and played some good teams and got blown away. And that cost Ole his job. Well, the way the fixture list kind of resets, you generally play the teams you played early in the year, the second time through again, before you play the second half. I mean, there's a few that get mixed in, but generally they've played again, a very weak schedule under Ragnick and continue to not put up good numbers, especially away from home. But even at home, the performances have not been particularly inspiring. So I'm very concerned and I'm starting to ring some alarm bells again. They've got a pretty easy run after this. They've got Burnley, Southampton, and Leeds, which most of those are generally good matchups for them. But there's a City, Tottenham, Liverpool, uh, Champions League, Leicester run coming up that in February that's going to get really, really interesting for Ragnick and this team. Another 10 a.m. kickoff. Uh, Brentford plus 205 coming off that performance where they smashed Manchester United in a, in a 3-1 loss. Uh, hosting Wolverhampton plus 155. The draw is plus 210. What can we say about this Wolves team that we haven't said before? This is a, a pretty sturdy defensive team. Only Manchester City has allowed fewer goals so far this season. Wolverhampton ranks inside the top seven in, in um, penalty expected goals per 90, shots per 90, big chances per 90. Uh, and uh, Brentford, uh, their defensive numbers are pretty strong relative to where we thought they would be uh, this season. We know what the kind of performances they can put together at home. That's kind of feel a little bit like a letdown spot. And I don't think either offense is going to be able to get the separation needed to put the draw out of question. I think this total is pretty low. A lot of good ingredients for a draw bet. I like plus 210 on the tie for Brentford and Wolverhampton in what should be a a pretty fun tactical match if you're into that sort of thing. Anthony, anything on, on your beloved bees and Wolverhampton? Yeah, I actually don't have the updated numbers just yet. Uh, because the game was just today, but heading into today, Brentford's attack at home, 1.4 expected goals per 90. Brentford's attack away from home, 0.99 expected goals per 90. Now, no team in the entire league has a bigger delta in terms of percentage of goals, expected goals coming at home. They've also played a much tougher schedule at home. So that that really even makes it even bigger when you consider the, the strength of the schedule. Home away splits tend to be somewhat noisy, but this is a clear noticeable trend with them being a much better team at home, but they've also finished really poorly at home. They've only created one expected goal from 1.39 created. So some attacking regression coming and they created two and a half expected today and just didn't quite take their chances. So I still think they're even more likely to uh, get some bounces to go their way going forward at home. Uh, But this Wolves defense too, we've talked a lot about how they should be an over team. We've joked about it. They finally had an over, they scored three goals uh, they're the best attack in the world in 2022 now. Uh, so they've only allowed 0.84 expected goals away from home per 90, which is pretty impressive, but they're actually only conceding about half a goal. So they've got a ton of regression coming defensively. Jose saw has been the best keeper in the league at shot stopping. And I have a lot of respect for his performance so far, but I'm skeptical that he'll be able to keep that up. When these two teams played the first time, uh, the bees won two nil wolves had a ton of chances to score. It was very early in the year. It was a very open back and forth game with a lot of space for both teams to kind of run into and create chances off of. So I think this is going to be back and forth. They just wolves are coming off their best attacking performance of the season. So maybe there's some, uh, some positive vibes going on at at wolves here. And and this is going to be an open game. So I'm splitting a unit on over two uh, at minus minus one ten, and I'm taking some both teams to score as well at uh, plus one fifteen. BJ, you see some, you see some value on Brentford here. I do think that if, if, this was a 
you know, the NFL or something, and I had to pick a side. I think I would lean towards Brentford if, if there was going to be a winner here. I, I just can't look away from the draw here and what I think is going to be a lumbering match. Yeah, I I love Brentford here in this spot. I was really – what I was waiting on to see is how their performance was going to be today because obviously the performances before that were, were quite bad, even though they beat Aston Villa that one. They got beat on expected goals. They didn't really show much in the previous two matches before that. But incredibly encouraging signs today, especially offensively. Their offense finally woke up. And I think this is a spot where I'm not so sure that Wolves should be a slight favorite on the road. You know, Anthony already mentioned it, but Brentford, much, much better at the Brentford Community Stadium than on the road. One of the biggest discrepancies between uh, expected goal differential at home versus on the road. There have, with the updated numbers today, it's around a plus 3.5 expected goal differential at home and a minus 5.2 on the road. So facing a Wolves team that isn't that great on the road and really hasn't been that great playing through the press or playing through teams that will pressure them at a high rate. Wolves, if we look at their passes, offensive passes per defensive action numbers since November 6th, when really like the troublesome signs started for them offensively, they're at 10.19, which is well below the premier league average of 11.67. So facing a Brentford defense, that's seventh in passes per defensive action. It's not that great of a matchup. And I understand, you know, they scored three goals. One of them was a penalty and, you know, 2.2 expected goals. That's only the second time they've created over one expected goal in their last eight matches. So they could start. I, they, they have the talent, obviously, to become an over team like we've talked about a lot. But I need to see it, you know, two, maybe three matches in, in a row before I start to say, OK, this team has turned a quarter offensively and they're starting to be the team that we saw earlier in the season. I personally even if we just look at straight up expected goal differential, like Brentford has a better one than Wolves right now. So giving them home field advantage, plus given the fact they've had better form at home, I, I really don't understand why Wolves is a slight favorite on the road. I understand the low total, but I, I have Brentford projected at plus 150. So I, I love the bees at home, draw no bet at plus 110. If they get another performance like they had today, uh, granted it's against a much, much better defense. I, I don't see how they don't walk away with three points. Leeds United, uh, they could, put themselves pretty much out of relegation trouble with a win over Newcastle leads plus 100 Newcastle plus 265. The draw here plus 275. This is a hilarious matchup. I think this is uh team a with terrible defense and a outrageous offense. And when I say outrageous, I don't mean like outrageously good. I just mean out the literal term of outrageous the way leads plays. Uh, and then Newcastle, terrible offense, terrible defense. So when you're, when you're putting all these things together, it's pretty hard to look away from leads here plus 100 even. I mean, like I'm, I'm, I was just talking about, maybe it's a little hypocritical talking about how I looked at two plus 265 on Norwich and was like extremely excited at a number that big against uh, Watford. But I think Leeds United is, is a couple steps above Watford, even with their uh, defensive issues. And part of it is because Marcelo Bielsa, we were saying maybe it's, maybe it's time. Maybe the Bielsa burnout is here. We were wrong. Leeds United looks much better over the past couple of weeks as they got healthier, they're slowly getting back to full fitness and Newcastle's defense. Like I can't really picture a worse system or worse manager to try to beat this Leeds uh, offense than maybe what Eddie Howe does, right? Like this is not a good matchup for him, especially with the pieces that he has, right? This isn't a good team being managed by Eddie Howe. This is a bad team being managed by a, a manager who is ill-suited to take on a Leeds United's cocaine ball attack. So I like Leeds here. I think uh, they're an interesting parlay piece. If you're into that, I think they're interesting on alt totals if you want to get crazy. Uh, but any, any way you want to get down on Leeds United, I endorse it. 
Newcastle are in some, some serious trouble, I think. And I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie Howe is out of a job pretty soon and Rafa Benitez is back at Newcastle. Uh, Anthony, anything on Leeds and the Magpies? Yeah, there were 38 shots the last time these two teams played early in the season. Ended 1-1 somehow. Uh, there was almost three expected goals. Newcastle has no ball winners in the midfield. That's the main issue with them playing up against this Leeds team and the way that Eddie Howe wants to play. They could find a lot of space on the counter. I actually think they will, when they do break through, be very dangerous. And I'm concerned about guys like St. Maximin finding space and creating chances. I'm also concerned about Leeds set piece defending, which has been poor, uh, and the ability for, say, Chris Wood to um, make an impact there. So I'm, I'm a lean here, but we're dealing with the number one team in pass per defensive action, the number one pressing team in the league in Leeds against Newcastle, who's ranks 20th in opposition passes per defensive action. So that's the stylistic matchup that really makes us a concern. I cannot back Newcastle here despite the number, uh, but I, I certainly lean toward Leeds. And if we get maybe a plus 120, I'll fire. But as of right now, I'm uh, staying away. The biggest issue for Leeds, they haven't created a lot of big scoring chances to counteract the fact they concede so damn many chances. Uh, Patrick Bamford could be back here. So that, that would definitely help. Uh, but we will see on the, the injury news uh, and if Leeds can continue to turn it around. I think you said it, right? Like th- there's nobody who can win the ball for Leeds. And also Eddie Howe likes to play ball on the floor style of soccer, style of football. He doesn't have the people to play that style on this team. He, maybe he'll get them some more of them in January. But when you're playing Leeds, you're trying to pass through this press with the roster he has. I don't think it's going to work. So I think that this is just a, a nightmare scenario for, for Newcastle right now. BJ, you like these peacocks? I love the peacocks in this matchup. Anthony already mentioned it, though. The, the number one pass per defensive action team versus the worst offensively. This is one of those matchups you kind of dream of when you're, you're trying to handicap these and getting a plus 100. But there are a couple of things I think working – you know, obviously against Newcastle in this matchup, you guys already mentioned it. The midfield they went with, they tried to play a 4-3-3 uh, against Watford, and they went with the midfield of Sean Longstaff, John Joe Shelby, and Joe Linton. That's terrible. That's a terrible midfield, especially going up against a, a team that can press the way Leeds can. You know, I'm going to be watching the status of Patrick Bamford. He also mentioned that they could have him for this match, although there are rumors, right, maybe circulating off their rumors are true, but that uh, he's his first child is also due very soon. So who knows if he's going to be back in the lineup. But if he is back in the lineup, it's massive for Leeds, who are without Joel Gerhardt right now. Bamford last season had a .54 expected goal per 90-minute scoring rate, and it's just he's just so vital to the, the final scoring chances being put in the back of the net because Leeds doesn't really have another true striker that they can put up top and to go get those type of goals. As far as the market is concerned, I was a little, sh- I don't know, I'm kind of shocked, obviously with Karen Trippier and Chris Wood being in the lineup on Saturday against Watford. Newcastle opened at plus 110 and closed at minus 120 against Watford. So, you know, Leeds has already taken a little bit of money in the market. They were around, opened around plus 115. Now they're down to even money. We'll see if that comes back a little bit uh, on Newcastle. I'm not sure if it will. If Chris Wood and Karen Tripp are in starting 11 again, who knows? Maybe it tends towards Newcastle. So I'll be watching the market. Leeds offense has been much better the last two games because they haven't really played that much, uh, you know, with all the postponements and everything. They've only really had two matches. And in those two matches against Burnley and West Ham, they created around four expected goals, which is a big uptick. So they're going up against a Newcastle defense that's bottom three in every single defensive metric and allowing 1.79 expected goals per match. And haven't, besides Trippier, haven't really added anybody to fix those type of defensive issues. So I have Leeds projected at minus 117. If Bamford is in there, I will be hammering uh, on Leeds. But 
I'll be watching the market. And if I can get leads, I'll probably wait, you know, plus 110 without Bamford. I'll probably end up playing leads. But uh, yeah, we'll just, we'll watch the market and wait on this one. But yeah, I'm with you guys. I do love leads in this matchup. The 12.30 p.m. kickoff, Southampton plus 9.50 hosting Manchester City minus 3.70. The draws 5-1 to one here. So much of handicapping is science, the numbers, the data, but there is some art to it. And I think we're talking about, you know, this might be the week for spots. And I think this is a terrible spot for Manchester City, if there ever was such a thing, right? They just played Arsenal, Chelsea, basically wrapped up the Premier League title. There's an international break on the other side of this weekend. And a trip down to the South Coast to take out Southampton, a mid-table team, not going to be too fussed about it, I don't think. And it should be said, like the Southampton team, they're flawed for sure, but they also have a pretty high ceiling, especially with their attack. Like they do create chances. I think Southampton's worth a sprinkle here at plus 950. I really do. We, it's not like Manchester City's going to, it would be shocking if Manchester City doesn't drop another match to a team like we saw like with Crystal Palace for the rest of uh, the season. And I think, especially because what, like, what are they playing for at this point besides just marching their way methodically to another Premier League title? And I think that this is a spot where, what I should say is you could find worse spots to back a huge underdog than Southampton here. So I'm going to be on the money line, plus 950 on Southampton. Maybe it's a little crazy. It is a little crazy. The odds suggest it's a little crazy, but that's where I'm going. Anthony? I don't think it's that crazy. Uh, I'm personally probably passing here, but I think if you look at the last few matches, City have certainly not been the juggernaut they were prior. I think everybody went bonkers. They scored seven on Leeds, four on Newcastle. They put six past Leicester. Everybody was like, oh my God, they're the greatest team that's ever played the sport. Uh, And then, of course, they play three consecutive games. They, they have a sleepy 1-0 win against Brentford where the Bees were very live for the first half, half hour or so and then pretty much kept them out for large portions of that match. They only created 0.8 expected goals. Then they play Arsenal, and BJ's still mad about that match. I think we're going to be hearing about that every every week for the next year uh, or at least until, until Arsenal wins a match. Or a big match. But – City were outplayed for large stretches of that match, and it only turned on a red card and a, and a controversial, we'll say, penalty. Not a, a penalty. <laughs> controversial decision. So they were not very sharp in that game. Uh, and then they played Chelsea in a classic City-Chelsea battle where Chelsea sits back and City tries to create chances. City didn't create a ton. Great moment from De Bruyne to win it. But this attack now, three games where they have created one or less uh, non-penalty expected goals – and if you go back to the first meeting between these two teams, a goalless draw, there was a controversial VAR decision that went against City, but a goalless draw where City only created one expected goal. So Southampton's had success against City in the past. Uh, they've got them in a great spot, like Michael mentioned. Big home day for Southampton. Don't have a ton of players going away on international duty, whereas City have a lot of guys thinking about that. So it's probably a pretty good spot, uh, but I'm, I'm going to end up passing. We'll flip it to Sunday, uh, 9 a.m. kickoff. Crystal Palace, plus 475 at home, hosting Liverpool, minus 175. The draw is plus 330. Perhaps another Chris Dan Bowl here, huh? Uh, uh, Palace is another team, I think, that profiles as a strong underdog, especially at big numbers. Terrific, terrific defensive team. Uh, sixth in non-penalty expected goals per 90. Third in big chances allowed in the Premier League so far. They're seventh in expected points. Uh, Liverpool did thrash them 3-0 in the reverse fixture. I think that was... A, too early in the season to really look too much into it. Plus, it's AFCON. It's going to be a lot of guys missing. Wilfred Zaha from Crystal Palace is going to be gone. But then uh, Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, uh, Naby Keita, they're out for Liverpool. And just it's this is a tricky spot again. This is another one of those spots for a big favorite where right before an international break, 
guys missing for AFCON, the transfer rumors swirling around everybody. I think that it's, you could find another, I'll say it again, you could find a worse spot to fade Liverpool than Crystal Palace at near five to one at home uh, in front of what should be a, a raucous crowd at Selhurst Park. So I'm not going to be able to stay away from this money line, set it at the top of the show. A lot of big underdogs that I think are live uh, this weekend in the Premier League and Crystal Palace is definitely one of them. Yeah, I'm going to not be taking Crystal Palace at pregame, but I will be trying to get on them live. I spoke about this on last week's episode, and I didn't even take my own advice, and I would have won, um, But because Crystal Palace didn't register a shot in the first half against Brighton and just got completely dominated, so I got scared. But they are one of the best second-half teams in the Premier League. So far this season, minus 3.64 expected goal differential in the first half, but a plus 5.89 expected goal differential in the second half. And they also have a plus 1.25 expected goal differential when playing from behind. So given the fact that they are at home, they have a plus a 7.8 expected goal differential, which is the third, uh, fourth best in the Premier League uh, at home. Combine the fact with Liverpool without Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, and Naby Keita, potentially no Thiago or Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain for this match. It is a good, really good spot if Liverpool goes ahead to jump in on Crystal Palace, you know, plus one, maybe plus half a goal, to, you know, trying to get them back or to have them get back in it. Like you said, Michael, it's going to be a raucous crowd. Liverpool, not really that great a spot. It's probably, it's, it's I mean, we can sit here and try to say that Liverpool can get back in the title race, but I mean, it's pretty much over. And if they drop points here, it definitely is over. And then for the next, you know, however many matches we have left in the season, we're going to have to try to handicap motivation with the top three teams in this league, which is not very fun, but that'll also give us a lot of chances on a lot of these underdogs as well. So uh, I'm going to try to jump in on Crystal Palace live in this one. Uh, we'll see what happens if, you know, Crystal Palace scores first, then all this goes to moot and uh, it's, it's not playable, but I do think that going forward, it's something to keep in mind. You know, Crystal Palace going behind or potentially trying to get out in the second half is usually a good bet. As I've been saying this whole episode, but I do think uh, this is this is a good weekend for the dogs, which means that a, you know, Liverpool City Arsenal uh, parlay, maybe sprinkle some other big favorites in there. We'll we'll definitely cash. Anthony, uh, when people think Liverpool, they think overs. You're saying under. Yeah, I, I certainly lean that way. This Palace defense has had impressive numbers, especially at home. Uh, they've been very effective uh, and they've done relatively well against teams who like to apply some pressure. I think they've been relatively solid with their ball playing center backs uh, at, at kind of not being overwhelmed. And I just don't think that the the Liverpool pressing monster is quite as effective when you're away from home and you don't have guys like Mane and Salah waiting to pounce. Now, that being said, Liverpool did have 10 shots inside the penalty area against Brentford in the first half alone. Last match, but that was at home. Bees are much worse on the road. Uh, they clearly didn't miss Mane and Salah, but again, as time goes on, I think this is only, this is only going to be the other only other match in the Premier League they're going to play without them. There also could be a little bit fatigued. They've got the EFL Cup on Thursday, which is we're taping this on Wednesday night. So before we're recording, we don't quite know what's going to happen there. I lean toward the under three right now. It's like minus one forty, one forty fives. I would need one twenty five to play it. So right now, pass, but definitely lean toward the under in that game. Another 9 a.m. kickoff, Arsenal, minus 265, hosting Burnley, plus 750. The draw here is 4-1. to one. Burnley hasn't played since January 2nd. This is their second match since December 14th. I've been saying this for weeks, so I'm getting a little sick of it. Uh, they're 1-8-8 eight and eight with a negative 11 goal differential, uh, and just about there in terms of their expected goal differential on the season, 16 goals scored, 27 goals against, 17 expected goals for 28 expected goals against. 
it's really tough to just to, to handicap this team because they haven't played and they lost the focal point of their attack. And we, we know what their numbers have said all season, leakier than usual, playing more of a high event soccer than usual. This is Burnley, not Arsenal. Uh, and I guess you can probably apply it to both of them. Uh, but how are you going to take what we haven't seen from Burnley and try to find value on it? It's, uh, it's, it's going to be a pass for me, uh, unfortunately. BJ, anything on your gunners and the Clarets here? No, we'll see what happens on Thursday in the Carabao Cup. We'll see what kind of lineup uh, Arteta is able to go with. You know, it's unfortunate. We just didn't have enough players to play in North London Derby. You know, we really wanted to, but, you know, by Premier League rules. They loaned out players on Monday. By Premier League rules, we didn't have enough players. So it it was unfortunate. But, you know, Ghana is out of the African Cup of Nations, which means Thomas Party is back, which is great for the Arsenal midfield. Is he going to be able to play? He probably won't play this weekend, but going forward, you know, he he probably will feature in the midfield. Odegaard will be coming back off of COVID. Miraculous like, recovery. It's great recovery. Well, you know, he's he's a fit, fit young man uh, that uh, uh, is one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. So not surprisingly that he recovered so quickly. Um, yeah, it's, I can't wait this number with Arsenal. There's no way. Uh, but I also can't really back Burnley with how bad their defensive numbers are. And the fact that not only they lost Chris Wood, but Maxwell Cornet is still at the Africa Cup of Nations. So, uh, I, you know, Jay Rodriguez and uh, Vidra and uh, Aaron Lennon don't really put the fear of God into me, especially given the fact that Gabrielle and Ben White are both healthy and back there uh, as a center back pairing. So it's a pass for me. Yeah, this this number is just Arsenal's a tad inflated, but at the same time, Burnley's missing a lot of their key attackers. And uh, I just don't see how they get on the board here. So it's a pass for me. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to project this Burnley team anymore. They haven't played in a month. Yeah. Feels like they lost or are missing all of their good attackers because of AFCON or injury or sale. So I have no interest. I actually probably would play Arsenal and lay it before I ever took Burnley as a dog. And I think it's telling that, that, you know, Michael would line up. Usually he'd be the first person at the sports book. As soon as they open the line to bet Burnley against Arsenal, Uh, even he is holding out here. And I think that's kind of the point we're at on Burnley where we just don't know. I don't know how to project them. I think they're one of the three worst teams right now, but I don't even have a clue. So I'm, I'm happy to pass. They also just lost 2-1 to Huddersfield in the FA Cup the last time they played. So it's, yeah, it's 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 weird and bad. And I, I, like, I agree, I can't make heads or tails of Burnley yeah. right now. We, we, we've said that it's been a weird season for them all season. So you, you even throw that in, right? Like it's, this isn't typical Burnley. So you're, you're talking about trying to handicap an atypical Sean Deitch team who is the most kind of tried and true, pragmatic, predictable. You know what you're going to get out of Burnley every time they step on the, the pitch. It's going to be a hard effort. They're going to be as organized as they can be, and they're going to lump the ball forward and hope that they can, you know, claw the game into the 80th minute and nick a winner somewhere along the line. Uh, and that just hasn't been how they've been playing. So that you're throwing all these things in and it just becomes harder because I mean, I would love to be able to, to convince myself to bet Burnley against Arsenal in this matchup. It's this would be a spot. Like you said, if this was normal, I would be all over the Clarets here, but it's so far that I honestly, I agree with you, Anthony. I think I'm much more inclined to chase something with Arsenal than to, to play Burnley here. And Arsenal loves to beat up on teams that are riddled with COVID and AFCON situations. So that, that kind of history, history, one guy. They have a history of doing that, um, oh, but it was that being match. said, uh, the Leeds match. Tottenham anyway. had like three matches postponed earlier. That's I didn't right. hear any, co- didn't hear, didn't hear any complaining from me. All right. Anyway. Uh, the last Premier League match we'll talk about, Leicester City plus 145 hosting Brighton, Hove Albion. 
plus 195. The draw is plus 245 here. Uh, Leicester's defense just gave up four and a half expected goals to Tottenham. Uh, three goals, including two at the very end. Yannick Vestergaard was basically playing as a 12th player for Tottenham. He's been a mess for this Leicester team since he came over. It's I think it's pretty hard to look away from Brighton here, too. Another underdog. I like another underdog on the road. I just wonder where this number is going to go because it's plus 195 in Brighton right now. Uh, Brighton is a team that uh, a lot of modelers like. And coming off that lesser performance, we could see this number dip a bit. But at the current number, plus 195, I think there's some value on the Seagulls. Um, we'll see where this thing goes. If it dips too far, if, you know, I think plus 180 maybe is a good cutoff point on the Seagulls here uh, because their offense isn't also the type that you would expect to punish Leicester City, right? They're not going to be generating chance after chance. This is a much more stoic offensive attack. Uh, but it's seagulls for me. What about you, BJ? I do think this match is fairly priced uh, based, you know, on the regular money line and the over-under. But I do think there's a way you can get in on Brighton. And I'm going to go first half, Brighton to score a goal, yes, at plus 125. Leicester has allowed the most first half goals in the Premier League this season. Uh, they're around 21 first half goals in 19 matches. That's really, that's really quite bad. Uh, and, you know, Brighton's not that great in the first half, but they're starting to find their groove offensively. They only average 1.2 expected goals in the first half matches, but you saw it today with Leicester. They are down so many defensive midfielders who are all at AFCON. They're down Johnny Evans and they have to fill in Janik Vestergaard, who's been terrible. They, you know, Kostane is out. There's so many other guys that they're just missing in the back end that they just don't have enough pieces to stop really anybody. And now they have to face a possession dominant side like Brighton, who's going to be able to progress the ball up the field in the final third against one of the worst defenses in the Premier League. At plus 125, I think that's a fantastic number. So Brighton to score in the first half at plus 125. Anthony, uh, nothing for you yet on this one, but you're looking towards the Seagulls, eh? Oh, yeah, 100%. Not really sure how Brighton's this big of an underdog. Leicester were shambolic today. I know how it ended. It kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth if you had Leicester or if you were a Leicester fan, but they did not deserve to be winning that game at any point. Uh, Conceding four and a half goals, 25 shots, I think it was, in total to Tottenham, overrunning the midfield. And if, if Tottenham is bossing your midfield with, with Oliver Skip, Harry Winks, and Pierre-Emma Hoybier, well, now we're dealing with a Brighton team who I think is even better at controlling the midfield in games. Now, they don't have a guy like Harry Kane who's going to get you 10 shots a game. That's the one big issue with Brighton. But for them to be an underdog here seems a little off to me, and I'll probably be backing them uh, come Sunday. All right, uh, that wraps up the Premier League. We will circle back uh, on the EPL at the end of the show for our best bets. But now let's move on to Germany. Uh, the Bundesliga, full slate this weekend. Uh, we'll give out our favorite bets there. I like Dortmund. They're taking on Hoffenheim. I like Dortmund, minus one, plus 200. These are two very high event teams, and I just think Dortmund is better than Hoffenheim. Dortmund could make a title race out of this yet in the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich. So, you know, instead of just playing the plus 110, I think if Dortmund does win this game, it, it, it would be likely by uh, multiple goals with the way these two teams are up and down the pitch. So uh, give me the black and yellow. Dortmund, baby, minus one, plus 200. BJ, what's your favorite bet in the Bundesliga? I'm going to go RB Leipzig, Wolfsburg, over three goals at plus 115. RB Leipzig's offense is an absolute juggernaut right now. They're averaging 2.15 expected goals per match on the season and have created 13.4 expected goals in their last five matches. That is almost three expected goals a match. That is really, really good. And in those five matches, they've created a whopping 18 big scoring chances. So it's insane 
how good their offense is running right now. Their defense has been playing better as of late, only 4.3 expected goals allowed in their last four matches, but that was against Armenia Biafield, Augsburg, Mines, who got a red card in the first half, and then Stuttgart this past weekend. The days of the Wolfsburg, like rock solid defense and low scoring games, like those are way, way gone right now. Since November 27th, Wolfsburg is allowing on average 2.07 expected goals per match, has conceded 16 big scoring chances in those seven matches. So having to face one of the hottest offenses in the Bundesliga that has created the second most big scoring chances this season is a really just a nightmare matchup. But on the flip side, Wolfsburg offensively hasn't been that bad. Their last match against Hertha Berlin, they they really should have won. They created 2.1 expected goals and had four big scoring chances, just couldn't put anything in the back of the net. Overall for the season, they are averaging 1.42 expected goals per match. So this isn't like a hopeless offense that, you know, it's going to continue to crater because Wolfsburg is a one and six in their last seven matches. They're going to rebound and get somewhere, you know, up here pretty soon because they do have that type of talent. But in this type of matchup, I think we're going to see just a very open game, a lot of big scoring chances. So I have 3.24 goals projected. So I love over three goals at plus 115. And Anthony, uh, you got something for us out of Germany this weekend? I do. Fading the team that is somehow unbeaten in four. Armenia Bielefeld uh, fading them, taking Eintracht Frankfurt minus 130 on the money line. We both, BJ and I both faded Bielefeld last week, and we backed our boys, Greuther Furt, who got a point and cashed our bets. Thank you, Greuther. Uh, taking a, a short pause from backing them. Uh, but we'll be back at some point. Uh, but the last four matches, a 2-0 win against Bochum, uh, despite barely winning expected goals. It was a very even match, a uh, very fluky result. They then stole a 2-0 win against Leipzig, where they conceded over two expected goals and only created about half of one themselves, scored two uh, low-probability chances, smash and grab stuff, and then scored two late goals on low-probability chances again and, and tied Freiburg 2-2 despite getting dominated once again. Their field tilt numbers are incredibly concerning. And this Frankfurt attack, the, Frankfurt's been very up and down. They blew a 2-0 lead to Dortmund. They ran Leverkusen off the pitch. Uh, they, they beat... Gladbach, but they've been super up and down, but I think this is a game at home against one of the worst teams in the league. And to get only get minus 130 when my number is closer to 145, I'm happy to lay it a little bit of juice with Frankfurt. Now we're going to take a journey to Italy uh, for Syria. Uh, Anthony, uh, this is your the place of your ancestors, and you have some, some harsh feelings towards Syria uh, so far this season. Yeah, I was dreading. I did a little update on Twitter and, and went through all my app record for the year and I was dreading the number on Syria and just how bad it's been. It's been an absolute bloodbath. I know BJ is, is grimacing as well. Uh, the league makes no sense this year. Nobody regresses to their means. The expected goals, throw them out the window. Things that happen in that league don't make any sense. The goalkeeping is embarrassing. Uh, everybody has a bad goalkeeper except Venezia and Milan, who's down to their backup. Uh, some of 16 goalies are either below or at average in shot stopping this year. There's been way too many goals in this damn league. Uh, my ancestors are from Italy. I am a proud Italian. Berto Mancini is my lock screen background. Italy, I am begging you, please follow logic and, and finally have some regression at some point because I'm tired of losing on unders in games that are completely dead. And then two teams score these two wonder goals and then it goes crazy back and forth. And there's way too many penalties given out. It's ridiculous. The refereeing has been terrible. The goalies have been terrible. The shooting has been ridiculously unsustainably good. And at some point we're going to go on a run. I know it, BJ. And we're going to start on Friday. Verona is playing Bologna. 2.5 under is plus money. 
I don't think it should be plus money. Verona has been one of the biggest luck boxes going forward in the entire league, scoring 41 goals from 31 expected. They have a ton of regression coming. Bologna as well defensively has been super unlucky, conceding all these goals from nowhere. Unsurprisingly, Verona and Bologna rank out pretty poorly in goalkeeping. Uh, Bologna has conceded a lot of penalties. All of this stuff is fluky, and we're going to get an under Friday afternoon, probably going to be nil-nil at half, and then there's going to be two stoppage time goals for it to end 2-1, but I'm back in the under at plus money. You know, to your point, Anthony, uh, I just looked it up. <laughs> Syria, there have been 81 penalties given out this season. The other four leagues haven't even had over 60. So that's how bad the refereeing. And this has been this has been trending for a while now in Italy. There's just it's, there's just so much like penalty luck that happens. And like you mentioned, they're just no, nothing ever makes sense. I try to do these both teams with score projections, like seven or eight of them. I have in the green for no, but I can't bet any of them because every match is drunk and just no nothing ever makes sense. So, you know, I'll, I'll try to make sense of something here and take Spezia, draw no bet plus 105 at home against Sampdoria. If you missed it, Spezia got a, a late winner to beat uh, AC Milan on the road on Monday and got them out of the relegation fight. Now we have a match where I'm not so sure they should be slight underdogs to Sampdoria. Like I mentioned with the penalty luck, Spezia has been one of the most unlucky teams in that fact because they've given up eight penalties this season. So if we look at, if you look at their actual, you know, expected goal differential, it's minus 19. Their expected goal differential is also minus 19. But if we take their non-penalty expected goal differential, it's only minus 10.91. And Sampdoria in that same fashion is at minus 11.02. So these are pretty much even teams. And then we give Spezia a home field advantage. They really should be, slight favorite in this one and Sampdoria they're just a really below average team they're you know bottom five defensively and non-penalty expected goals they're bottom seven offensively in that same category Spezia they are I'm not going to sit here pretend they're some actual good defensive team they're not but what they do do well is they are a decent pressing they're ninth in pressures per 90 and sixth in pressure success rate and Sampdoria is the worst team in Serie A against pressure. So this is a numbers play here where I'm not so really, I'm not so sure that Sampdoria should be the slight favorite on the road against Spezia. So Spezia draw no bet at home at plus one Oh five. Uh, now on to Spain, uh, Anthony, you and I are on the same team. I'll let you take it away. Yeah. I've enjoyed the, the Viacano story as much as the next guy, newly promoted team overperforming. We're very underrated in the market coming into the season. Now the pendulum has swung a little bit here for them to be pretty much a toss up with Bill Bow, who's been pretty impressive and, and has started to have some of that regression come. They've played some, some high scoring games for a change. They had a two, one game. Then they had a two nil game. There was a three, one game. I mean, just crazy stuff for Bill Bow. but really the, the truth is that they're a much better team here. Uh, and Viacom has overperformed considerably uh, for them to be sitting in seventh right now on the table flatters them quite a bit given that they're probably about 10th or 11th, and that's probably where they're going to end up falling in the future. So I want to get in on some of those fades, and so I'm going to be hopping on Bill Bow, drawing a bet at minus 110. BJ, uh, Anthony and I, we don't have anything in league, oh, so we'll let you take it away here with your favorite bet in Spain, and then you can saunter over to France. Well, let's – I mean, this is just like a broken record. We talk about it all the time. Let's try to buy low on Barcelona once again. One of these days we're going to hit Barcelona. I, I, I can promise you that. But this match especially, they're finally going to be – pretty much healthy coming into it, which hasn't been the case for a long time with Barcelona. And they, you know, they've underperformed this season overall, plus eight actual goal differential versus a plus 13.1 expected goal differential. But they really, really are 
improving under Xavi. In his eight La Liga matches in charge, Barcelona is averaging 1.89 expected goals per match, only allowing 0.91. That Those are elite numbers in Europe's top five. And now they add Ferran Torres, who made his debut in the Super Cup against Real Madrid. And Ped, they'll also get Pedri back, who hasn't played pretty much at all this season after having a knee injury. So it's it's a really good spot for Barcelona on the road going up against and to flex their muscles against a really bad Alaves team that got pasted on Tuesday by Real Betis. They're what they are one of the worst teams in, in La Liga, and they've been one of the worst over the past few months. They're winless in their last nine matches, and they've been outcreated 7.4 expected goals to 1.48. There's just so many advantages for Barcelona in this match. They're pressing is going to, you know, wreak havoc on Alaves. Barcelona is the best pressing team in Spain by passes per defensive action, while Alaves is 17th in that same category offensively. Alaves pathetic at creating big scoring chances. They only have 14 on the season, while Barcelona is all the way up at 40. Alaves defensively allows around 14 shots per 90, about 14 box entries, which are both bottom three in Spain. Barcelona offensively top five in pretty much every single offensive metric. So we're going to take Barcelona spread minus one at plus 100. I have their spread projected at minus 1.27. So another buy low Barcelona, Michael. All right, now take us to France, BJ. Let's go Bordeaux versus Strasbourg. Michael, you mentioned it last podcast, but along with Watford, the only other team to not have a clean sheet this season in Europe's top five leagues is Bordeaux because they've allowed 50 goals in 21 matches. Uh, you know, their expected goals numbers are not as bad, you know, as their actuals are. They're, they're still allowing 1.93 expected goals per match. But, I mean, Ren just hung six goals on them this past weekend. It's just gone from bad to worse for one of the more famous clubs in France. Now they get to face a really good Strasbourg offense that is averaging 1.48 non-penalty expected goals per match and has created the most big scoring chances in France. These two met on December 1st. And Strasbourg absolutely thrashed Bordeaux. It was a, they won 5-2. They won on expected goals, 3.0 to 0.9. They created four big scoring chances, 41 touches in Bordeaux's penalty area, 44 progressive passes, just an absolute pasting. Strasbourg, since that 5-2 beatdown, they've played four matches in league on, and they have been in really, really dominant form. Won three of their last four and outcreated their opponents 9.4 expected goals to 3.2. So this is another great spot for them to just beat up on an inferior opponent. I have them projected at minus 127. So I love the current price on them at plus 105. All right. Uh, now let's move on to our favorite section of the show, our three favorite underdogs for the weekend. This is the part of the show where I will always warn you, these bets are not for the faint of heart. And mine is especially not for the faint of heart because you're going to be taking on the best team in Europe Manchester City. This is going to be a theme for me for the next two portions of the show. So much of handicapping does come down to the numbers, predictive metrics. We live by them. We go to sleep with them. We breathe them in. We eat them in the morning for breakfast. And that's what we use to make our decisions. But sometimes you just see a spot and you have to play into it. And this is what you're getting with Southampton at plus 950, nearly 10 to 1 against Manchester City. Uh, The Saints, not only are they at home, but Manchester City, they have wrapped up the Premier League. Basically, they just beat Chelsea before that they beat Arsenal. The now they're going to the South Coast to play a team that's in the mid table. And next weekend is an international break. And as Anthony was saying earlier, City's form has started to dip a little bit. They're starting to just kind of malaise their way through uh, these results. And that 
bodes well if you are like me and you want to be uh, try to beat this team. And I think you're getting a great number on a team with a high ceiling in Southampton, a team that can score, that can create offense. Uh, hopefully they can hold uh, defensively at nine plus nine fifty. You just can't look away for Southampton. So that's how we'll start our three leg underdog parlay. BJ, something a little less insane from you. Yeah, I'm going to go the opposite spectrum of that, kind of. I'm going to go with Brentford at a short, probably the shortest price we can do on this because we try to give out more than two two to one at plus 205 at home against Wolves. The Brentford offense finally, finally woke up today. 2.7 goals against Manchester United. They hadn't created over one expected goal in their previous five matches. This is a really good matchup for Thomas Frank's team in his heavy metal style of football because Wolves has been struggling versus teams that press them at a high rate. Their passes per def- offensive passes per defensive action is below the Premier League average. And I understand they just scored three goals against Southampton and they, and they created 2.2 expected goals, but this is a team that has only created over one expected goal twice in their last eight matches. Plus Brentford, like we've talked about many times, plays so much better at home than they do on the road. So give me the bees plus 205 at home to grab all three points against Wolves. Anthony, uh, what's your favorite underdog this weekend? West Ham plus 280 at Manchester United. Uh, United's team they put out today, pretty concerningly average. They're not a ton of players who I'm like particularly impressed by. Uh, They've had injury issues. They've had form issues. I know Rashford got in the game and got a goal. Ronaldo was not happy at the end of the game that he was subbed off. Uh, But Ronaldo also did absolutely nothing from pretty much the entire match. But really, this is a matchup issue for Man United. They struggled big time with West Ham earlier in the season with with West Ham's ability to get out in transition, ability to win the ball off them in the midfield. United doesn't seem to have fixed any of their transition defense issues as they showed today, as they've shown against Wolves. They've also benefited from a really weak schedule in the last month and not played well against that schedule. They're taking a step up in class here. Uh, Sounds weird to say for Manchester United, but it's true. Taking a step up in class in recent opponents. And I think West Ham... Uh, given form, despite it not being great at the moment, plays better as a dog when they're able to let the other team have the ball and then counter them off of it, as opposed to being a team that has to be in the ascendancy with the ball. They've they've struggled defensively in those situations. I think they'll be more equipped here as an underdog at plus 280. All right, now for our favorite EPL uh, bets for the match week to come. Anthony, uh, let's go right back to you. Yeah, Chelsea and Tottenham, both teams to score yes, minus 110. Pretty surprised by this number. I projected closer to minus 130, 135. When we look at Tottenham, they've created an average of 2.09 expected goals per 90 since Antonio Conte took over as manager. And that was highlighted by four and a half expected goals against Leicester on Wednesday. This attack is firing. Harry Kane looks great, but they're still not quite scoring and finishing those chances at the rate they were earlier in the season. Uh, the 1.43 actual goals for. So they've got some bounces coming their way, especially from. Harry Kane specifically, they got bossed by Chelsea in both of the last two matches. I have concerns about their defense. They're a little bit shorthanded talent-wise. They have some injury issues. So I think Chelsea will get on the board here and will probably control parts of this match. But Spurs, feeding off those last two losses to Chelsea, will be motivated here with a chance to get on the board. And I think both teams will. So I'm taking both teams to score minus 110. Duncan, Duncan Ferguson. For me, it's Everton, plus 165. Hosting Aston Villa plus 170. This is 7.30 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. Not only do I think this is a a terrific spot to back Everton, a team that has just been discombobulated 
in terms of their tactics, who their manager has been for five, six years, getting them to just play a simple style of football, playing hard, hard no style football, hard no style soccer should just do wonders for a team that does have a lot of talent. Overall, Everton's expected goal differential is stronger. It's better on the season than Aston Villa, who is coming here. I think we might see Villa get favored here. So this number might tick up even on Everton. But I love the opportunity to get a new manager bounce on a team that you honestly couldn't buy lower on right now, coming off a loss against North City. They just kicked their manager to the curb. So give me the toffees, man. Goodison Park should be rocking and rolling on Saturday. And I'm going to be there along for the ride at plus 165 on Everton. BJ, your favorite bet this week. Let's go to Old Trafford, the theater of dreams. Manchester United, West Ham, over three goals at plus 120. West Ham defensively has not been themselves without Kurt Zuma and without Angela Ogbana. Without either of them in the lineup, they're allowing 1.53 expected goals per match with at least one of them in the lineup. They're only allowing 1.12 expected goals per match. So they make a huge difference. They're still going to be without them for this one, facing a Manchester United offense that has been pretty good under Ralph Ragnick. They've created around nine expected goals in his six matches in charge, but they haven't faced that strong of defenses. West Ham offensively is maybe the hottest team in the Premier League right now. They've created 10.7 expected goals in their last five matches. Jared Bowen looks like the most informed attacker in the Premier League with three goals and three assists in his last five matches. And the Manchester United defense It's had problems all season long. We thought Ralph Ragnar was going to come in and fix it, but he hasn't done anything to fix it. Yes, they've allowed around 8.5 expected goals in his six matches in charge, but the opponents that he's faced have been Norwich, Burnley, Newcastle, Wolves, Aston Villa, and Brentford. What those teams have in common is they're all bottom 12 in the Premier League in expected goals for. West Ham is top five in expected goals for per match this season. So this is a massive, massive, step up in competition. So I think it's going to be a wide open, free-flowing type match. I have 3.2 goals projected, so I love the price of over three goals at plus 120. All right, and that will do it for a supersized episode of Warner Goal, but it was supersized for a reason. Uh, International break coming up next, so we won't be back until Thursday, February 3rd. And when we do come back, Champions League will be right around the corner, so it'll be a pretty fun time to be a uh, soccer better. For Anthony DeBundo, for BJ Cunningham, I'm Michael Leboff. Good luck with your soccer bets this weekend.